Thank you, Jenny. That was uh, very meaningful. That was my uh, mother's favorite gospel song, and it was uh, sung in the uh, funeral uh, yesterday. Uh, His eye is on uh, the sparrow. And if you're not familiar with the uh, scripture text from which that song is based on, it's uh, from the words of Jesus uh, in uh, in the Gospels, where he talks about the uh, forgotten sparrow, the sparrow that absolutely doesn't have any worth or value in the eyes of men, not even worth a, a cent. He says, that forgotten sparrow can't even light on the ground apart from the Father's uh, watchful, loving eye, apart from the... Uh, Father's care. And then Christ's point is, talking to His children, well, you are of much more value than many sparrows. In other words, if God loves the most insignificant of His creation in that fashion, how much more does He love those who have been redeemed by the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ? And that's how valuable, that's how precious you are in the eyes of God, and that should bring us great comfort and rest, knowing that we can trust in a God who loves us in that fashion. I apologize this morning, but I do not have PowerPoint this morning, so we're just going to have to work on the sermon notes. Uh, Ushers have extra copies. If you did not get a copy of the sermon notes, would you just quickly raise your hand And they have extra copies, and they'll place that with you. Man, y'all are pretty good about picking up those notes. Here's one all the way down here, my grandson, and he really needs it, okay? I'm just kidding. No, we love Anthony. Anthony's our oldest grandchild, and he has truly set a good model and example for the many that are following. Uh, We have been in a a book study of uh, Hebrews. I I was checking my uh, notes. I didn't realize we've been in this study now for uh, a little over nine months. Uh, We find ourselves in Hebrews chapter 11, uh, that great uh, chapter on faith, where we find this hall of fame of faith. And uh, we have come to the example of Abraham's faith, uh, beginning at verse 8 of Hebrews 11, and, uh, and uh, he takes up uh, more space in Hebrews 11 than any other character as his faith is highlight, highlighted. Now, let me just sort of explain where I'm going with this message. Last week, we looked at uh, Hebrews 11. We began to look at Hebrews 11, verses 8 and 10. Uh, I entitled the message, Imitating the Faith of Abraham. And we put the focus on God's initial call to Abraham. When God called Abraham out of that pagan culture in Ur of the Chaldees uh, to go where God would lead him, although he had no idea uh, where the final destination uh, would be. And I began to share uh, three truths that we could learn about faith and apply to our lives from God's call of Abraham. And last week, we only had the opportunity to focus on the very first truth, the very first principle uh, that you see there after the uh, Scripture verse where it says, Abraham's example of faith teaches that the heart of faith listens when God speaks, trusts when God's promises, and obeys when God's command. So all we did was focus on that. And to be very honest with you, I just really 
uh, was not satisfied with the message. I, I did not think when I concluded it that it was as practical as it needed to be. So I want to light a little longer just on this first principle. And in light of the fact that we're saying that the heart of faith listens when God speaks, well, I want to raise the question today, well, how do we listen? And in light of the fact that faith trusts when God promises, well, how do we trust God's promises? And when it says we obey when God commands, well, how do we obey? So uh, that's where we're going to put the focus today. And then uh, next week, we'll get back to finishing those uh, other two points that we can learn from Abraham's call. So uh, let's read Hebrews eleven eight once again, just for emphasis, for review. It says, By faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Now, I don't want to take long in reviewing because we covered this last week. But again, remember that Abraham was in a very pagan culture. It's a very wealthy city, one of the wealthiest cities in the world at that time, one of the most advanced cities, and we, we talked about that. And, uh, and here God comes to this uh, pagan idolater, and he appears to him. Abraham sees his glory. Uh, Stephen indicates that in Acts chapter 7. And not only does he see God's glory, he hears God's audible voice. God speaks to him, and we read... Uh, God's call to him in Genesis 12. It's recorded in Genesis 12, 1 through 5. He says, you're to come out from your country. You're to leave your home. You're to leave your relatives and your friends. And you're to follow me. And you're to go to a land that I'm going to give you as an inheritance to your descendants. Uh, Not only did Abraham not have a land, at that time he didn't have what? Descendants. So it was uh, quite a promise. And uh, and, and, uh, quite... A remarkable example of faith uh, that Abraham, at the age of 75, just literally uprooted and took off with God and didn't have a clue where he was going, where he was going to end up, or how all that this was going to work out. And so that's where we focused on that first point. The one thing that we can learn about true biblical faith is that when it is exercised, It listens when God speaks, it trusts when God's promises, and it obeys when God's commands. So, let's look at that first point. And and the thing we want to see today is, you know, it's not God's norm today to visibly appear where we hear His audible voice. Because why? He's given us His Word, what? Recorded right here in the Scriptures. We, He has spoken right here. So it's here in God's Word now that we see God's glory. The Bible talks about this. This reflects the very glory of God because it's the revelation of God, His person, who He is, what He has done for us. And not only do we see God's glory in this book, we what? We hear God's voice in this book. So the question for us is, well, how do we listen to God's Word so that is effective and it accomplishes the purposes that God desires in our lives. And, uh, and you know, when you think about it, let me, let me just begin by raising this question. Why is it? I mean, just think about this worship service right here. Why is it that uh, people uh, can hear the, the, the same word, the same message... And some individuals be greatly impacted in no spiritual growth, and others not be impacted at all. 
Well, one of the primary reasons is we do not come ready to listen to God's Word. God's Word is very clear that there's a preparation that needs to happen in our own hearts as we come to God's Word, whether it's to read God's Word, whether it's to get involved in a small group Bible study or my own personal devotions, I first need to prepare my heart to listen to God's Word. And I want to focus just a few moments on a very practical passage that teaches us exactly how to do this. And that's James chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. And so we'll just walk uh, through this. And there it mentions five things, five things that as a believer, as a child of God, you need to do prior to coming to God's Word. So that your heart is prepared to listen and receive what God has for you. And notice what the first one is in verse 19. It says what? Open my ears. So you can fill in the blanks there in your sermon notes. Open my ears. James says everyone must be quick to what? To hear. Now please notice it's no accident God gave us two ears and only one mouth. He wanted us to listen uh, more than we speak, and especially in our relationship uh, with Him. Now, to give this just a a little meaning, uh, take your Bibles and turn over to Proverbs 2. And we'll get a better understanding of what it means to to open your ears uh, in, in coming to listen to God's Word, to get in God's Word. Look at Proverbs chapter 2. Uh, Let me begin reading at verse 2, and we'll read through verse 5. Verse 2 says, Make your ear attentive to wisdom. Incline your heart to understanding. Notice, those are commands. These are things we are responsible to do in our relationship with God. You know, I, I try to emphasize this so often. You have a relationship with God as a child of God. And that is a reciprocal relationship. We have responsibilities in that relationship. And you know, one of the things that has immensely helped me in my Christian experience over these uh, last 44, 45 years is to realize God loves me. And God desires to grow me. God is committed to me, to bless, to benefit me. And if I'm not growing, the problem's not on God's part, it's on my part. And I need to examine my heart and to see where I'm falling short and then turn to God's grace to apply the principles that He's already laid down for me in His Word to cooperate with Him to know His full blessing in my life. So make your ear attentive to wisdom. Incline your heart to understanding. For if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her, notice, if, if you seek her as silver, and search for her as for hidden treasures. Then you will discern the fear of the Lord. So did you notice all those ifs? You know, if you do these things, then you're going to discern. Then you're going to hear. Then you're going to know. Now go back to verse 2, and I would suggest you underline two key words, the word attentive and the word incline. In the Hebrew text, the word attentive is, is the word kasab in the Hebrew text. And, it, and the literal meaning, and I, I've always loved this, the literal meaning is simply to prick up your ears like an alert animal. I mean, you ever seen an animal, when it becomes alert, 
Maybe it's uh, trying to track some uh, food, and, uh, and those ears perk up as it's listening, as it's, as it's watching. Uh, the word incline in the Hebrew is the word nata, nata, and this word carries the idea of turning away from all distractions so that you can be totally devoted to God's Word. That's what it means. So, so when James says, one of the ways we prepare our hearts to listen to God's Word is that we come to, with open ears, it means that I need to become alert. And as I become alert, I turn from the many distractions in life and the burdens in life so that I can put my focus on God's Word. In other words, you're responsible, what, to zone out those other distractions and be attentive and alert to God's instructions. Look at the, look at the next thing. Not only am I to open my ears, I'm to shut my mouth. <laughs> I'm to shut my mouth. He says, be slow to speak, slow to speak. And the fact is, you can't listen while you're talking. And I believe this also includes, don't miss this. This also includes talking to yourself. See, God wants your undivided attention. He wants your undivided focus. He does not want your mind drifting off. You're to come to His Word and give it the reverence that it's due because this is God Almighty Himself speaking to His people. Uh, turn, t- turn in your Bibles. I'll show you something interesting. Turn over to Job 40. Job 40. This is toward the very end of the book of Job. There's uh, 42 chapters in Job. Turn to 40. <laughs> if you're familiar with the book of Job, you know about his suffering. And you know how Job is, is in this horrendous uh, argument, basically, with God. Uh, we, we talked about this a little bit, uh, uh, I believe, a couple weeks ago, where uh, you know, he's just demanding God give him an explanation. He just doesn't understand that, you know, this isn't right what's happening to me. This is not fair. I mean, do you really care about me? And, uh, and he's demanding God give him an answer. And, and, and God seems to be silent. And then finally God speaks. He really doesn't give Job an explanation of anything that's happening. He just talks about his omnipotence, his great power. And then look at chapter 40. After God gives him this little nature lesson, uh, revealing his power and might, chapter 40, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Job, will the fault finder contend with the Almighty? Let him who reproves God answer it. And then don't miss Job's response. He, he finally got it. He said, then Job answered the Lord and said, behold, I am insignificant. What can I reply to thee? I lay my, what, hand on my mouth. Once I have spoken, and I will not answer, even twice, and I will add no more. In other words, Job finally got to the place where he said, it's about time for me to shut up and listen to God and to see what he's trying to teach me in the midst of this difficulty and adversity. And that's what we need to do when we come to God's Word. Not only open our ears to be attentive and alert, but to shut our mouth so that we're in a position to hear. Look at the third thing. I have to calm my spirit. And sometimes it, this takes a little time to prepare our hearts to get into God's Word. 
because we can be struggling, especially at this point. I have to calm my spirit. Notice James says, and slow to anger. Be slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. The word translated angry there is orge in the Greek text. And you know what it refers to? It refers to a deep-seated bitterness that you have against others or life's adversities. Bottom line, what James is saying is that bitterness and resentment in your heart renders the Word of God ineffective. Bitterness and resentment present an emotional barrier that not only prevents God's Word from taking root in your heart, but it also, what, poisons your soul. And not only poisons your soul, but it, what, infects others as well. So what do you do with bitterness? What do you do with resentment? Well, look at the next point. I have to weed my heart. James says, I have to weed my heart. He says, therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. See, before the garden of your heart is ready to receive the seed of God's Word, you have to weed it because if you don't weed it, those weeds are going to choke out God's Word and it will be ineffective in your life. Jesus told us this in the parable of the sower. He said, some seed fell among thorny weeds, but the weeds grew up with it and choked the good plants. So the question is... What are the weeds that need to be uprooted and eliminated in your life as you come to listen to God's Word? It is imperative to weed, to eliminate from your heart anything that is between you and God. Anything that is between you and another person. That's why I've developed the habit in my own life. Anytime when I come to God, in prayer. Anytime that I come to God to read His Word or to study God's Word, I cry out Psalm, that prayer in Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. What? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. God, Please show me right now. Is there anything between me and you that I need to make right? Anything between me and another person I need to make right at my earliest opportunity? And then after I weed my heart, I have to what? The next thing, surrender my will. I have to surrender my will. It says, in humility, James says, in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Will you circle the words humility and receive? Humility and receive. Humility carries the idea of coming to God's Word with what? A a submissive attitude. The word translated receive is dekamai in the Greek text, and it means to receive God's Word with a commitment to apply it, to obey it. In other words, I come to God with the submissive attitude, ready to obey. Not to argue or debate whether or not I will obey, but God, I'm here. God, I'm I'm, I'm opening my ears to be attentive and alert. I'm shutting my mouth so I I I can hear you. Lord, I want you to calm my spirit, weed my heart, and then, Lord, I surrender. I'm coming to you with a submissive attitude. And when you speak, I'm committed right now to obey 
You speak, and whatever you say, I will do. That's the attitude that we must have. Acts 17, 11, we read concerning the Berean church, they received the word with eagerness. I love that. They received the word with eagerness. We are to come to God's word with a submissive attitude that is eager, that is ready to listen and obey it. And let me make up. Just a brief observation about these five actions that we need to take from the book of James. Notice, the first three, opening my ears, shutting my mouth, and calming my spirit, are about what? Removing distractions. The importance of when I come to God's Word to be able to give my undivided attention to God's Word. Weeding my heart is about what? Removing sin. So that I can give God my heart's affections. And then the last one, surrendering my will, is about removing any rivals to God's Word so that God has my absolute and total allegiance. Out of reverence to God, I am to come to His Word to give Him my attention, my affections, and my allegiance. I am to come thoughtfully with my mind to learn what God has to say in His Word, but I cannot stop there. I also have to come passionately with my emotions to love God as He speaks to me. But I can't stop there. I must come submissively with my will to live God's Word. Turn over to Nehemiah 8 real quick. Nehemiah chapter 8. I just want to give you an example of this in a corporate setting, what it would look like. This is known as the revival at the Watergate. Uh, Of course, this is the remnant that have returned to the city of Jerusalem after the Babylonian captivity. And uh, Ezra, the priest, is ministering to them. And I just want to help you to see how this has worked out in their lives. And just look at several qualities they show. The first one is, look look at their enthusiasm at coming to God's Word. Look at verse 1. Nehemiah 8.1, and all the people gathered as one man at the square, which was in front of the water gate, and they asked, they asked. It wasn't the preacher coming and pouring out. No, the people came to the preacher and asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. In other words, the people came with enthusiasm, eager to listen to God's Word, wanting to hear at that time those five books of Moses, the Pentateuch. And then notice, they not only came enthusiastically, they not only came with an eagerness, but they did come attentive. Look at verse 3. And it says, And he, Ezra, read from it before the square, which was in front of the water gate, from early morning until midday. Now, folks, you think, I preach long sermons. Uh, Do you understand what they're saying here? He began at Genesis 1-1, and he read the books of Genesis Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He read all five books in their hearing at one time. In the presence of men and women, those who could understand, and notice that last phrase, and all the people were what? Attentive to the book of the law. But not only were they enthusiastic, not only were they attentive, they were submissive. Look at verse 6. When he, this, he, he's completed the reading... Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, which means what? So be it. While lifting up their hands, then they bowed low and what? Worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. 
That Old Testament word for worship is shakah, and it means to bow down, prostrate, in total and absolute submission to God. And not only were they submissive, they, as a result of that submissiveness, they were teachable. Look at the very last phrase there in verse 7. It says, And the Levites explained the law to the people while the people remained in their place. Verse 8, And they read from the book, from the law of God, translating to give the sense so that they understood the reading. So what a beautiful example of how we need to come to corporate worship. We need to prepare our hearts coming into this worship service, and this would be applicable in your personal devotional life or any Bible study study setting. I come enthusiastic, attentive, submissive, teachable. And we don't have time, but it's beautiful to see what happened as a result of them doing that. If you go on in the chapter, you see repentance of sin. You see that repentance of sin following by rejoicing in God's grace and His forgiveness. Receiving that forgiveness. Rejoicing in God's grace. And then you see this beautiful reflection of God's character in and through their lives. And so the point is, when you come to God's Word enthusiastic, when you come attentive, submissive, and you're teachable, God is going to work. He will deal with issues in your life. He will bring you to the repentance and obedience of faith. He will give you that wonderful relief and assurance of forgiveness. You will rejoice in His grace. You'll find the adequacy of your grace perfected in your weakness. And you'll begin to reflect God's character in your life and be that witness that God desires you uh, to be. Now, look at the second point. Okay, that's how we listen to God's Word. Okay, how do we trust God's promises? And let's just mention, first of all, uh, three things about Abraham's uh, call to follow God. Three things. Number one, the call was abundantly clear. That's that first line. Abundantly clear. He could not have misunderstood. God in His glory appeared. He speaks to him in an audible voice. And Abraham knew exactly what God was saying. He may not have understood everything at that moment, but he heard. It was communicated clearly. He knew what he needed to do next. It was concrete. There was no uh, doubt. But not only was it abundantly clear, it was seemingly ridiculous from Abraham's perspective. I mean, Abraham's 75 years old. His wife's 65. They're, they're, They're childless. And here God comes, and He says, hey, I want you to leave everything that you've ever known. I want you to go to a place where, you know, you don't even know where it is right now. A land that I'm going to give you as an inheritance for your descendants, and He doesn't even have His first child. And so the whole thing seemed ridiculous, and not only did it seem ridiculous, it was emotionally difficult. Think about that. We talked about that last week. I mean, He had His roots there. He was a wealthy man in that community. He had family. He had friends. You know, we talked about how did he explain this to his wife's daddy? Uh, Oh, we're just picking up and leaving. Where are you going? Oh, we have no idea. We're just following God. God, who's that? You know, because they were pagan, pagan culture. So it was abundantly clear. It was seemingly ridiculous. And it was emotionally difficult. Now, my simple point is... I really don't think the problem today is that 
we lack understanding what God's communicating. No, God's communicated pretty clearly. And I'm not trying to say teaching is not important and all of that. But let me just give you an example. Let me just throw a couple out. How much more concrete can you get this? Jesus says, okay, uh, you're in a situation, and he says, somebody hates you. What does Jesus say do? Some of you just said it. You're to do what? Do good to those who hate you. Now, folks, isn't that pretty abundantly clear? But at the same time, from our perspective, it seems ridiculous and a little emotionally difficult. Wait a minute. The person that hates me, I'm to actually do good to them? Then Jesus goes on. He says, well, you know, let's say somebody slanders you with their mouth. Somebody lies about you. Well, what does Jesus say in that situation? You're to bless them with your mouth. Folks, that's abundantly clear. That doesn't need a lot of interpretation. Yes, it's seemingly ridiculous. Yes, it's emotionally difficult. Yes, we fight that. But it's clear. Jesus goes on, he says, uh, you're to forgive those who wrong you, who hurt you. Well, there's, that's, there's no ambiguity there. And there's no exception clauses there. And we could go on and on with this. You know, feed your enemies. Uh, there are principles he's laid down about finances, about human relationships. We could just go on and on with husband and wife, parents and children, children towards their parents. God's been abundantly clear, but in our finite perspectives and with our weakness and struggle, we, we often find what he's asking us to be ridiculous and emotionally difficult, just like it was for Abraham. That seemed ridiculous. It was emotionally difficult, but God was asking what? To trust. Take that step. Believe me. Count on me. That when you take that step, my power is going to be released in that situation, and you're going to know my blessing. And look at that little asterisk there. Therefore, and here's the key. Here's the key. Therefore, to trust God's promise is dependent on knowing the promiser. This shouldn't be complicated for us to understand. Who are the people that you trust on earth? It's the people that have proven what? Worthy of your trust. You don't trust people that have lied to you, that have betrayed you. No, you, you trust those individuals that have proven. You're, you're not going to make yourself, you're not going to take risk, in other words. You're not going to make yourself vulnerable in a relationship unless you sense that I'm secure enough because I trust this individual. This person has proven their integrity. And it's the same way with, with, with God. The reason that we can trust is that God has proven His integrity over and over again. He's given us a record book of His integrity, of His faithfulness. And we see contemporary examples all around us. You know, I was thinking of my mother's example. Uh, and her wonderful testimony. I, I think someone like Jeremy Williams over here. I mean, we have so many, not just examples out of the Word of God, but wonderful examples in contemporary life of those individuals that are taking those little baby steps, one at a time, trusting God, and we're seeing God blessing and using them in a remarkable way. You know, I, I think Mark 11, just 
we won't turn there because sake of time, but just put down in your notes Mark 11. I think that might already be there. Mark 11, verses 22 and 23. That's where Jesus talks about if you uh, uh, come up on a mountain. He's not talking about a literal mountain. He's talking about a, a significant challenge in life, what would appear from our perspective as, a, as a, an impossibility. And he says, you come up on that impossibility, and he talks about the importance of putting your trust in him. And he says, if you do not doubt, if you do not believe, you're going to be able to overcome. And see, reality in life is that we are presented with a number, a number of incredible opportunities that God has disguised as impossibilities. Why? So He can get the glory. See, from our perspective, it's an impossibility. God sees it as an opportunity. So God says, you come up on this mountain, you're dealing with this challenge, it seems mammoth in your life. He says, if, if you come to me and, and, and you don't doubt my promise, you believe, He says, you'll get the victory. But the interesting thing, verse 22 is the key there. You know what the very first thing Jesus said? Have faith in God. In other words, you're not going to be able to believe the promise unless you have confidence in the what? In the promiser. And you gain that confidence in the promiser by what? Getting in God's Word. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. As we see God's characters, we see the record of His faithfulness to His people. And as we see contemporary examples and as we take, begin to take those baby steps... And learn to rely on God and find that He's faithful. Now, how do I obey God's commands? That third point. That third point. That third point. Notice, obedience. What is obedience? Obedience is doing exactly what I'm told to do. And that's what Abraham demonstrated to us. He did exactly what God told him to do. He didn't understand it. He didn't know necessarily where he was going to end up, where he was going. He just took one step at a time, then the next step, trusting that God would lead him. And folks, it is also a lot easier to direct a, uh, something that's moving over something that's just, what, stationary. So as we begin to step out and move out for God, He has that ability to direct us and to uh, guide us. Uh, look at James chapter 1, verses 22 and 25. But don't just listen to God's Word. You must, what, do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. And if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for what? Doing it. Notice the emphasis. Do God's Word. Do God's Word. And you're going to be blessed in the doing, not in the knowing. Knowing God's Word does not bless the first person unless you step out on that knowledge and obey God's Word. It's in the doing of God's Word that you're blessed. But obedience is not only doing exactly what I'm told to do, it's also doing, doing, doing it when I'm told to do it. When I'm, that's that next point. When I'm told to do it. Look at Psalm 119, verse 60. I will hurry. I love this verse. I will hurry without delay to obey your commands. And this is one of the great truths about uh, Abraham's faith, the example that we see in his life. When you go to Genesis 12, when God called him, there's no indication that there was any hesitation, that there was any delay. I mean, it may have taken him time to get everything together, accumulate his possessions and his goods, but he got moving as quickly as he could. When it, you remember, we'll see this later, when he offered up Isaac. Remember, God spoke to him, and he says that very morning he went to worship God and make that sacrifice of Isaac. There was no delay. There was no hesitation. 
So obedience is doing, ex- is doing exactly what I'm told to do and when I'm told to do it. Now, let me just mention one thing that might help some of you. God tells us we are to obey without any delay, without any hesitation. That's what He asks because He's worthy of that. He's demonstrated that we can trust Him and that we need not doubt Him. But at the same time, He often delays in bringing the blessing to that obedience. You hear what I'm trying to say? We're not to obey, but He often delays bringing the blessing. And that's one of the main things we're going to see in Hebrews 11. Matter of fact, we're going to see in Hebrews 11 that many of these guys, they died without ever seeing the promise fulfilled in their lifetime. But they died trusting God, knowing He would be true to His Word and to His descendants, everything that He had promised to Abraham. So God often delays, and you you say, well, why does God delay? Well, let me just state several reasons that I think are fairly obvious and fairly important. You know, if God blessed our obedience immediately, there would be no opportunity for character development. So, so God just doesn't want to just give instant gratification. God's in the business of developing character. He's in the business of de- developing patience and perseverance. You know, that being able to stay in there, abide, and continue to go forward in, in the face of the storm, in the face of the adversity. So He often delays the blessing to give us that opportunity to develop the iron steel of, 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 of virtue and, and character rooted in Jesus Christ. Second, if God always blessed obedience immediately, where would be the opportunity to learn that God, the giver, is greater than His gifts? See, as God steps out, and this is another thing we're going to be, be emphasizing throughout the 11th chapter. I mean, the focus of these great men and women of faith was not the fulfillment of the promise, but knowing the promiser. Now, I don't want to dismiss the fulfillment of the promise because God is a God of integrity and we can count on Him doing that, but He will often delay that fulfillment. So we have the opportunity to lean on Him, to develop an intimacy with God that we would never develop otherwise, and where we discover that the giver is greater than His gifts. And where we're not seeking God merely for a handout, but we're seeking God's faith face because he's beautiful he's majestic he's all powerful all loving worthy of our worship and then third if God always blessed obedience immediately where would be the opportunity to learn persevering love a love that suffers in all things and in its suffering continues to be kind where we learn to love is Christ's love so what is obedience It's doing exactly what God tells me when he tells me to do it and then look at the third thing with the right heart attitude and this is a biggie. God just, you know, you know, you've heard about how the little kid obeyed on the outside, but not on the inside. You've all heard that story. Well, you know, God wants us to not only obey on the outside, but on the inside, too, with the right heart attitude. Look at Psalm 119, verse 69. I obey your commandments with all my heart. Psalm 119, verses 47 and 48. How I delight in your commands. How I love them. I honor and love your commands. I meditate on your degree, 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 decrees. decrees. Uh, and then look at the last thing. 
as I do exactly what God tells me, when He tells me to do it, with the right heart attitude, it ushers me into God's glory. That's the beautiful thing about obedience. Obedience, as we step out in faith, is what releases the power of God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. But faith also releases the power of God in our lives, in life circumstances, where we do come to see God's glory. And what is God's glory? Don't miss this. Don't miss the simplicity of it. It's just simply God Himself. It's the experience of God. It's experiencing God's power to strengthen me. It's experiencing God's provision to meet my need. It's experiencing God's love to affirm me, to reassure me. It's experiencing God's wisdom to guide me. It's God's peace to calm me. It's God's holiness to convict me. It's God's forgiveness to liberate me. It's God's righteousness to purify me. Again, faith releases God in my life. Look there at John 14, verse 21. This says it all. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them, and I will love them, and what? Reveal myself to each of them. So obedience ushers us into God's glory, which is the experience of God Himself. So, as we conclude, if you want to experience God's glory in your life, His reality, His intimacy, obedience, the obedience of faith is the pathway that takes you there. Doing exactly what I'm told to do, when I'm told to do it, with the right heart heart attitude, which ushers me into God's glory. And may God give us the grace to do so. Amen? Bow with me in prayer. Father, thank you for what I trust has been a practical lesson on how to listen, how to trust, uh, how to obey. But God, just just knowing these truths uh, won't take us into the experience of these truths. Uh, But Father, as we've talked, we realize we're in a relationship with You. And we know that You have provided Your part. We know that You are at work in us both to will and to do of your good pleasure. We know that you are there to give us grace, to give us the enabling, to do exactly what we've talked about, that we are not without the resources as we look to you. That by looking to you and your grace at work in us, we can open our ears and shut our mouths. Uh, We can calm our spirits in your presence. We can weed our hearts and become submissive to you. Uh, We can uh, trust in your promises, and we can obey your commands. So, Father, uh, grow us. Uh, Teach us to put our trust in you. And, Lord, most of all, open our eyes to see the promiser. Open our eyes to see just how worthy you are of our trust. Help us to see your character, your integrity, your faithfulness. So, Lord, in the name of Christ, grant us that spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of our Lord, which in His name we do pray. Amen.